All right, all set. Here we go. Parents don't have to have all the answers. Do you know what you're interested in? Do you know what you want to do? And you quite simply you get a yes or a no. Some of the environments that we're putting our apprentices into are, are quite dangerous environments. So we need to sort of work with the school leader first and foremost. But also that the, the, the value that they get in the workplace kind of elevates that level three. 18, 19 we, 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 years old, we're sending apprentices to basically anywhere on the, on the globe. I think we've covered just about every continent with apprentice visits. Hello and welcome back to the Parent Perspective podcast brought to you by Amazing Apprenticeships and Not Going to Uni. I'm Rachel Burden and this is the podcast that gives you, that's the parents, the carers, everything you need to know to help your children make the right choices after leaving school or college. From apprenticeships to technical education, work experience to traditional academic study, whatever next steps your child might be considering, we've got you covered. And you can find us on the Amazing Apprenticeships website or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please join the conversation on social media too. Coming up on this episode, how are employers supporting real diversity in the workplace? And to help us dig into this, we've got Kasim Chowdhury, who's the Multicultural Apprenticeship Ambassador at the skills provider, The Pathway Group. Kasim, good morning. Good morning and thanks so much for having me on this uh, podcast today. Fabulous to have you with us. And also Anna Morrison is here, founder and director of Amazing Apprenticeships. How are you, Anna? Hi, I'm good. Thanks, Rachel. How are you? I know that you're passionate. This is a really important um, element of the way that apprenticeships are um, being presented and how accessible they are. So I know for you, Anna, this is a um, a really important discussion that we're going to have today. But Kasim, I'd, I'd really like to, to talk to you, first of all, and, and dig into a bit of your own background, because you have your own personal story, don't you, about not going to uni? Yeah, it's interesting. I I went to a private grammar school. So typically, the route for me was to, you know, go to school, um, do my GCSEs, do my A-levels, and then go to a red brick university. And that was typically what every other person in that school uh, did. However, I was lucky enough um, that within our school, we had a good careers advisor and I was sent to a session with one of the top four accounting firms to go and look at an apprenticeship. And it was a taster day session where I got to learn all about accountancy, working in the top four and actually realised that it wasn't just about number crunching. There was so much more to the role and it really appealed to me. And actually, what really appealed to me more was the apprenticeship route and the fact that I could go and earn and learn after leaving college. Um, I could be on a very, very good wage. I think back then, this is going back 20 years, we're talking £15,000 starting salary and then finishing on anywhere near 30000 Now, to put this into perspective, my mum had been working for 20 plus years and was was on about thirty thousand pounds. So to say that I was going to leave at the age at the age of twenty four, be a fully qualified chartered accountant, and then the same as my mother at that age was very very enticing. The issue I had was going home and speaking to my parents. Now, as the youngest of five, and with all of my siblings going to university to do degrees. I was told that the suggestion was outrageous. Um, If I don't go and get a degree, then I'll reach a glass ceiling within my career that I won't be able to get certain roles. I won't be able to progress in my career. 
and I was, you know, this whole lecture I was given that, you know, it's just a fad, just, you know, stick to the route that everyone knows. You need to get a degree. Look, you've been to grammar school, you've done everything, you need to get a degree. And 20 years later, I'm not in the field that I thought I would be. I've spent in excess of 40, 50,000 pounds on student loans, um, fees. I even went and did an LPC um, because I, you know, the route I chose was was law, but I didn't realize how competitive it was to get into um, a legal job after graduating and even doing the LPC. There was no, um, you weren't guaranteed a training contract, so you wouldn't, you know, you weren't guaranteed to qualify whereas had I gone down the apprenticeship route I would have been working with an organization for five years they would have paid for all my qualifications they would have given me the experience and the training that I needed and I would have been in an actual job and I think this is where people forget the key point is that an apprenticeship isn't necessarily just learning it is a job and you know you're required to do work and you're given tasks to do and you're not just making coffees or you're not just learning it is a job and I'm, you know the, the learning for me is secondary to the actual job. Do you have some regrets really that you didn't put your foot down and say no this is right for me? I know that's really hard to do but. I, I do regret it but personally now where I am now and doing what I'm doing now I probably wouldn't have wanted to work in a large corporate organisation but that's a whole different story and you yeah. know but when I think about what I invested in a degree and in my education and what I got out of it, I don't feel like it was the right decision to do. Mm. Also, the other thing that's worth pointing out is how significant those taster days can be because they almost seem sort of like just a, a day trip out, I think, to some students, but sometimes they can really kick in and inspire people and give them a hook. So it's, it's well worth taking those opportunities if they're there, isn't it? Certainly. I mean, I've spent the last three months working with Blueprint for All and going to inner city schools around London, talking to young people. And when I actually start telling them about the different apprenticeship opportunities, you can see all the light bulbs start shining in the room. And the first thing I do when I go into a room is I ask them, what do they want to be? And someone will say, I want to be an engineer. Someone will say, I want to be a doctor. Someone will say, I want to be a lawyer, an accountant. And when they realise that all of those careers can be achieved through an apprenticeship, you know, the, the look on their faces and and they're like, remember, remember these, are, these are young people from low socioeconomic backgrounds. So the thought of going to university, the cost of going to university is, is quite a lot. But then also you've got to remember that they would probably be the first people within their family to go to university. And I think when we look at diversity and cultural issues, our parents came to this country as predominantly economic migrants. They didn't have the opportunity to study. They didn't have the opportunity to go to university. So for them, it's it's a pride thing as well for them to be able to send their, their children to university and for them to graduate. Uh, and typically with, with South Asians, there, there is a class element to it that if you go to university you're educated then you're, you're seen in a different light so that there is that part of it so in many ways you can go and 
open the doors to the students and inspire them and tell them what's out there. But you also need to convince the parents, don't you? You do. And it's quite funny because as part of what we do, um, we spent a day out in Birmingham City Centre and we went around talking to parents, young people, asking them what they knew about apprenticeships. And it was interesting. We stopped and talked to a taxi driver who said, I'm going to send my children on an apprenticeship because I'm working with graduates who are now taxi drivers because they can't get jobs. You know, they went to university, they got a degree, but they never got the experience. And what I'm finding, which is really interesting, is most of the higher level degree apprenticeships are being taken up by children who went to private schools, who went to grammar schools, who are part of that middle class. And, you know, it's great to see that they're, they're going down that route. But that's because the parents are quite savvy, that they're, they're thinking economics, they're thinking, what's the best route for my child to get into a career? So they're already thinking that they know what the best opportunities are that they've got that level of education, they've seen, they're in the working world, they're seeing probably within their own organisations, apprentices coming through the ranks uh, and doing amazing things. Um, but again, I think the education piece for the parents is is within those low socioeconomic communities where for them, a degree is the be all and end all of getting into a career. Yeah. And I suppose we ought to also acknowledge the fact that when we talk about diversity, we're talking about ethnic diversity, class diversity, gender identity, all of that comes in into play here how good and I, this is a really general question so I don't know how you want to answer it Kasim but how good are businesses these days at recognizing the strength of a diverse workforce and going out and actively trying to access the kind of communities that you engage with I've got to be careful how answers because some do it great and some just like to say they do it but don't do it and I, um, I think you know, when they say we really want to do it, but then don't want to spend the money and actually actively go out and reach those communities, that's when it gets frustrating. So a lot of people say, you know, these communities are hard to reach. They're not hard to reach. They're very easy to reach. They're accessible. They're in every city around the country. It's whether you're willing to go out there and level up with them. So leveling up, we're expecting them to level up but actually we're not levelling with them and we're not understanding their nuances and where they're coming from. And I think that takes a lot of hard work um, and it's not easy. And I wouldn't say it's hard to reach. It's it's very simple in, in our eyes. You know, Anna does an amazing job with the Genie Project and there's plenty of courses out there for people to learn about diversity, learn about different cultures. And it's having an open mind. I think that's the key thing that organizations need to have they need to have that open mind because it's very difficult if you've grown up in london in a nice area in a nice borough for you to then go into a community and see how people are living it's very difficult for you to understand why they're in that situation if you've never had to feel that hardship and i think that's where the difficulty lies you know it's when people make daft suggestions oh but why don't they just go and get a bigger house <laughs> I've heard that one before. There's a, there's a lot of things that employers need to do and they need to think about and understand. This this is a good moment to bring in Anna. And, and Anna, first of all, I should ask you, what's the Genie Project? 
So the Genie programme is um, something that we, we started up a few years ago. It stands for Genuine Interest Inequality. And it really was driven by... Um, by a need coming through from employers who were coming to us saying, look, we can really see that we could achieve more through our apprenticeship programmes. And these are the different groups we want to reach. As Kasim was exactly saying, you know, these are our kind of ambitions, our aims. This is what we'd love to do. But we don't feel confident in how to get there. So perhaps we don't feel confident to talk about different community groups or um, how to support care experienced young people or those with caring responsibilities or disabled apprentices or, you know, all of these different challenges um, and different underrepresented groups actually in apprenticeships where employers needed something to someone, something to help them to navigate all of this and to start to help those uncomfortable conversations to feel a bit more comfortable. Um, so you you know me well enough by now, I'm, I'm quite unconventional in this sense, you know, if something feels a bit difficult, then I quite like to get involved and see if we can find some kind of solution. Go towards so, it if it um, feels difficult, Anna. Absolutely, absolutely. And kind of ask questions from a point of interest and learning and try to understand um, the different needs across all of these different groups rather than perhaps assuming that you might know what's best or um or making some uh, I suppose making some of your decisions just based on data and not really getting to know the types of individuals that you wanted to attract to your programs so this genie program has kind of grown and grown so we do free webinars throughout the year where we try to tackle some of these uncomfortable conversations with experts and individuals with lived experience so they can really share what you know what they feel could be done better or what they wish had been in place when they were trying to navigate the system um we have this kind of 12-month program where we work with employers on this sounds a bit cheesy but this journey of discovery so we really take them through the nuts and bolts and work through their apprenticeship strategies and these are big organizations you know on the surface you might think actually they've got it all tied up they should they would know they would be doing this stuff but they really appreciate learning from experts learning from peers and starting to do things differently and this builds on a point Kasim just said actually about not just saying it but doing it so for years we've had organizations kind of preaching diversity and inclusion and saying this is what we're doing and this is what we're great at it what we're seeing now is it really happening in reality so particularly for apprenticeships I think perhaps when employers first started using apprenticeships um, towards some of their diversity and inclusion work or trying to achieve greater social impact, one of the big mistakes was they didn't change any of their recruitment processes. They didn't look at the culture of their organisations. They just perhaps said, everyone's welcome, but didn't think about how they might be putting people off, how they might not be proactive enough in their messaging and in their targeting and this is what we're really seeing change now I think we're kind of seeing employers doing it in practice and we know this because we get to meet the apprentices who are benefiting from the system and we're starting to see that rich diversity coming through but there's a long way to go. Yes and the benefits of having a diverse workforce are well demonstrated and well understood now but do you find that there are still some sectors that do much better in this than others oh that's a tough question isn't it um i mean there are some sectors perhaps that have 
had to, um, but perhaps maybe looking at different employer sizes and types as well. You know, there's a number of drivers for why employers will prioritise diversity in their workforce. Um, One of the biggest drivers we've seen recently is a tight labour market. They haven't been able to fill positions, you know, post-Brexit, post-pandemic. They're having to think differently, which means they're kind of they're they're being forced to need to look at different groups, their local communities, how they recruit from across the country, you know, how do they make their offer more competitive? And it's not enough just to be a big brand name anymore. And you've got to, you've got to be quite creative in the different approaches that you take. This isn't just big employers, though. Small employers are also doing a huge amount in this space. And often it goes quite unrecognised, but you will see lots of small employers who actually, this isn't anything new to them. They've been supporting learners, uh, apprentices with additional needs for years, you know, and, and kind of going, you know, big businesses, why are you only just waking up to this? Because we've been doing it, because we've had to, because we've, you know, we've needed to look at our local community and perhaps to recruit locally. So, um, So it's really... I suppose what we can't say with confidence yet is anyone going forward to apply for an apprenticeship will experience that same kind of inclusive recruitment process, because I think we've still got a long way to go on that. And that would be for any workplace, any recruitment. Um, But what we are seeing is employers making a concerted effort to do more and to try and really think about um, who they might be missing out on and being quite critical of their own systems and processes and trying to improve things. And have you seen that, Kasim, as well? Have you seen that change in the last 10, 20 years? There's a lot of organisations that are struggling to find the right talent. And I think when you look at people from diverse communities, especially those who have grown up in poverty, um, I see it in my local community here in Birmingham. Those who are trying to break out of poverty are really engaged. They're really empowered. And, they, you know, sometimes they are the best people to be part of your team because they're, they're motivated, they want to work. Whereas when I look at other people who come from privileged backgrounds, they're, they're not as motivated. You know, work is, just seems to be something you go to. Um, I saw a lot of that with the kickstart scheme. Um, those young kids who really wanted to to get somewhere and they typically were from diverse backgrounds because they didn't have the opportunities that some of the other privileged kids did so that you know organizations want people with that hunger with that drive with that ambition because they're going to take their business forward yeah can you give an example Kasim, of how employers can change their recruitment policies whether it's in employment or apprenticeships, trainee schemes, whatever it might be, to to access those different communities? I think there's a close connection between your employer brand and your consumer brand. And some organisations get it really well and other organisations fail miserably. And I think that's really important. I think if if you're a business and you operate in that community, then you need to operate your business in a positive way where that community feels that they're being there's a benefit from you being in that area. And I think Tesco do it quite well, particularly when, you know, you see a big Tesco store open. Tesco tend to spend a lot of money in the local area at the same time. So they're investing in that local community, which has a positive impact in the way that community sees Tesco as a brand and as an employer. So I think you, you need to look at what you're doing 
especially for large corporate organizations, what are you doing in local communities? How is, how is your brand being perceived? Um, and I think, you know, when you're a large bank, for instance, you know, what are you doing for that community in that area? The issue we've got now is a lot of retail is disappearing. So, you know, what are you doing in terms of your marketing? Who are those people that you're seeing on the billboards? And we are seeing diverse people on billboards and advertisements. And yeah, it's great. But is that the right thing? What it, it comes down to the deeper messaging, the employer brand. How is that individual going to feel when they work in your organization? And I think that's what that's the messaging we need to see. And, you know, there's so many employers now that are promoting this. And for us, it's the best people to sell apprenticeships are the apprentices themselves. So the reason we run the Multicultural Apprenticeship Awards is to create those role models so people from those diverse communities have got people that they can look up to. So organisations need to be utilising the people within their organisation and promoting them and giving them those opportunities to exceed and excel so when they go back, they can tell other people. Kasim used a really uh, good word there around talent. I think one of the big things we've seen for apprenticeships and is this move away from uh, employers fixating on prior academic achievement and really understanding that talent is so much bigger than what you can achieve based on your your grades at school or university. Um, and the re- so I say that kind of with a smile because I couldn't believe that a few weeks ago it was headline news that a particular employer, I won't name them, but they decided to drop the requirement for degrees for the majority of their roles in the business. And I just thought, oh my goodness, you're, that's so out of date. Like, how was that not done 20 years ago? And perhaps I'm... Um, I'm perhaps a bit tuned into that, maybe a bit sensitive to it, because I was one of those individuals who I've, n- I've not got a degree. I don't have a degree. So for me to feel that I, you know, I wouldn't even be able to get a job with that employer um, because I don't hold that prior qualification. So I think some, you know, some employers around apprenticeships are starting to get really wise to looking at the whole person and trying to use uh, recruitment processes and systems that uncover the best talent from those individuals. Uh, not all, though some employers for apprenticeships will have entry requirements. Um, and we're working really hard to try and uh, identify where there are unnecessary entry requirements that could be causing a barrier to an individual from being able to access those apprenticeships. Um, the other bit, if I just pick up on recruitment, I think for parents and carers listening in, we often will be contacted by parents who will say, you know, but my child um, isn't very academic or my child has this additional need. Would an employer want them? You know, would they get through the recruitment process? And this is a conversation we have a lot with individuals who may have um, a support need or something in their background, their personal history that they're going to need to tell the employer about at some point. And they worry that this might put them off or in some way kind of get them knocked out of the recruitment process. What I'm seeing is more employers saying, we really want to know how we can support you to achieve the best out of our apprenticeship recruitment processes. So if you can tell us early, we can make sure that we get everything in place that you might need so that we can help you to do the best, you know, and yeah, compete against the other candidates because essentially, you know, that's, it is going to be a selective process. Ultimately, the employer will only have a certain number of positions, but they really do want to work with the apprentices to understand their support needs and to help them get the best from that recruitment process. But we still do find 
a lot of individuals, particularly young people who feel really nervous of telling employers, you know, what it is that they might need help with. Yeah, that's really important to point out. And also just to go back to the whole question of grades and qualifications, Kasim, do we need to have a conversation about whether our whole education system is really fit for purpose in terms of reflecting what employers need and want and directing young people into the kind of roles that we know are out there for them in the future? I've got slightly conflicting views on this. I think we do need some set standards of education and we do need to be able to measure these. However, as Anna said, these shouldn't be the be all and end all. There's there's a fine line that exists between what I what I don't like is don't worry about school, don't, you know, it'll all be all right. And that's not true either. I think that poses a very dangerous message to young people that actually forget about school, you don't need to worry about it, you don't need an education, you know, you can do whatever you want. And that isn't true. Um, because you've still got to work hard. And I, and I don't I don't think we should be shying away from effort. I think effort is very important. And as Anna said, if you've got the right mindset, you've got the right attitude, then grades aren't as important. But it's still important that we get the education that we need. It's the amount of emails that I read that are just, what is this person trying to say? And it's really, you know, for me, English is so important. I was terrible at English. I was told at school I would I would struggle to get um a c grade and that that was frightening for my parents but i i worked hard and i got two b's in english literature and language but it's so important that i got those b's and and i got english language right because i'm now able to write letters i'm now able to write emails and these are day-to-day things that you need in work and i i'm very against people who say oh don't worry about school it'd be fine it'd be fine yeah, I don't want young people to worry, but I don't want them not to try hard and do their best because I think that's really important. You've still got to go and do your best. And yeah, the education system could do with tweaking. We do need more vocational subjects being taught at schools. We do need to focus on what the business need is. And we need to understand what, you know, businesses and schools need to have that conversation about what what skills do they require for people coming into the workplace and what are they learning at school? Communication is so important. Young people struggle to communicate and express themselves. What are we doing to teach them about that? Because that's really important. If you can't communicate in the workplace, you can't express your feelings and, and what you're trying to do, then it becomes very, very difficult. And I just want to finally, talking about communication, just bring it back to to you and your story and your situation when you were a younger lad, Kasim. For any parent or carer listening now who's had a child who's come to them and said, I'm interested in doing an apprenticeship. And the parent has always kind of had their mindset on getting that child to university, giving them that what they think will be that incredible educational opportunity. How would you communicate to to those parents to to encourage them to look at things differently? My mother went to university at the age of 56. Um, There is no limit on when you can learn. You know, every day is a school day. So I think it's really important that they understand that whatever their child is passionate about is what they'll succeed in. You know, you're never going to go into a role which you're not passionate about. We had a young girl 
um, through our apprenticeship awards whose parents wanted her to be a doctor. She was a very bright girl, um, extremely intelligent, got all the grades to do medicine at the University of Birmingham, one of the hardest universities to get into to do medicine. Um, but she just was not engaged. She was not passionate about medicine. <clears throat> anyway, she um, decided to drop out of university. And you can imagine, for those of you who know how hard it is to get into medicine, to, to take that step to drop out. She then started working as a receptionist in an accountancy firm. And that accountancy firm um, was like, what are you doing here? You know, you're so intelligent. You've got so much going for you. Um, why are you you know, working as a receptionist here? And it was only when the chief accountant at that practice was like, why don't you go to EY and have a look at some of their apprenticeship opportunities? Now, that young girl then went on to do um, a degree apprenticeship with EY, qualified as a chartered accountant. The sad reality of this was she didn't tell her parents she dropped out of medicine until she got the apprenticeship with EY. And I remember speaking to her father on the awards night and he openly admitted that he got it wrong and that he really should have maybe taken a different approach to forcing her to go to university and doing a medical degree. EY is Ernst & Young, by the way, is it? Just yeah. to clarify for people yeah. listening, massive, massive accountancy firm. It's a brilliant story to, to end on there, but also so revealing in so many ways, Kasim, and brings in all those themes that, that we've been addressing today. And thank you so much to both of you uh, for your insights and your thoughts on our discussion today, which is all around diversity in the workplace, particularly when it comes to apprenticeships. And we'd love to hear from any of you listening as well about your own experiences. We'd love to inform our own uh, listeners about how your personal experiences have, have perhaps educated you as to the opportunities that are there out there so please do get in touch with us via all our social media channels don't forget you can always check us out on at amazing apprenticeships and uk and at not going to uni and we'll be back with another episode soon but for the moment uh, kasim thank you so much for your time today and alan thank you <laughs>